0: Please turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. We'll use this as a unison reading. And while you're looking for that, I'll tell you we're going to take a two week break from the book of Romans the next two weeks uh, for Palm Sunday and for Easter uh... the passages just weren't lining up right for the proper uh... topics as far as i was concerned for those two weeks also in the eleven o'clock service next week uh... there will be extra music and a little bit shorter sermon uh, and it's not really like a lessons and carols service but it has a little bit of a feel to it that way and we appreciate the choir and all their hard work. That's only at the 11 o'clock service. There will be some extra music at the acoustic service as well, but the choir will only be singing at the 11 o'clock service. Now, turning our attention to Romans 5, let us begin to read at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... And death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you ever make the mistake of thinking that you're right while all the while you are actually in the wrong? Of course you do. Your family tells me that about you all the time. (laughs) Maybe that's a little poetic license, but if we're honest we know that happens to us more than we would like to admit. Back when he was living, Ronald Reagan used to tell a story that he insisted was true about a newspaper photographer in Los Angeles who was called in by his editor one afternoon and said, I've got a special assignment for you. I want you to go down to the local small airport here and there will be a plane waiting for you and get on board and go up and get pictures of this fire that's raging out of control south of the city and then get back in time so we can include them in the afternoon edition. And so the photographer, he raced down to the airport in his car and drove to the end of the runway and sure enough there was a small plane there waiting with the engine all revved up and he jumped in and said let's go and they took off and as they climbed to a few thousand feet he said now take me over that fire so I can get some pictures And get back to the office in time to get them in the afternoon edition. And there was this strange silence on the other side of the cockpit until he finally heard the words Aren't you the instructor? (laughs) I will say, you're more awake than the early crowd was. (laughs) And, you know, we all make mistakes like that from time to time. We misjudge people. We misjudge facts. We misjudge situations and circumstances. Sometimes it can be humorous. And sometimes it can be dangerous. But even though we think we're right, we're not. The Apostle Paul saw this happen in his own life. It's well documented in the book of Acts as well as some of his own letters where he gives us this autobiographical information about how he was a great persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. And he remained a persecutor until Jesus met him on that Damascus road and radically converted him by the gift of His amazing grace. And even though Paul is making a theological argument and point in our passage this morning, when he says there in verse 12, I mean verse 20, that law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Even though that's part of his theological argument, I still see those words as very personal. It's like we see his former life and conversion behind these words illuminating them. It's as if he's speaking from his own experience. For as he persecuted the church and became more and more zealous in that persecution, his sin increased. But just at that time when his sin was increasing, the grace of Jesus Christ washed over his life and and converted him and changed him from that persecutor of the church to that great missionary of the church. And while that's a wonderful message, the reason that this text has so much to say is not simply because these words are so brilliantly portrayed by the life of the Apostle Paul, but also because of the way in which each of us fulfill these words in our own lives. I mean, think about how these words are the facts of your life, just like they're the facts of my life. We see sin abound. And where it does, in our hearts, and our lives, grace abounds all the more. And we don't have to live more than a few minutes each day to be aware of the abounding of sin In our lives. Sin is where Paul begins this text before us. That's what he starts talking about at the beginning of this passage there in verse 12. Where he says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Because all sin. You remember that's where Paul began this letter. That long argument, 118 through 320, that he summarizes in 323, finally saying, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's something that he comes back to again and again in this letter to the church at Rome. This problem of sin. And you know, we talk about sin a lot in the church because sin is in Scripture a lot. But I just wonder, how would you define sin? What would be your definition if I called on you like a teacher in a class and said, rise before the class and give me your definition of sin? What would you say? You know, that's what two young men were asked this week at our meeting of presbytery. We had our, our annual spring meeting of presbytery, and two young men were being licensed for Uh, were being examined for licensure, as we call it, which means they had already gone through a written exam. They had already been examined orally by the minister and his work commission, which takes a long time, so I'm told. And then, after all of that, they're examined on the floor of presbytery where anyone in presbytery can stand up and ask any question they want of those candidates. And the chairman of the commission was asking most of the questions before presbytery, and that's one of the questions he asked. What is sin? And you know, that's question 14 in our Westminster Shorter Catechism, one of the standards of our church, and that's exactly the answer that the young man used before the presbytery. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Now, we don't talk like that anymore. But you see what that's saying. Sin is disobedience. Just like with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden there in Genesis 3 where even though God has not given them a law, He has, in essence, given them a law because He said, you can eat of any tree in the garden except this one tree and you're not to eat of it, and that's the one they chose to eat from. And so they disobeyed God's law. It's not following the teaching of God's law, as we see with the children of Israel over and over in the book of Exodus as they go through those wilderness wanderings and on into the time when they're taking over the promised land, like we see in the book of Joshua. They're disobeying God, they're not following God. His teaching. And that continues even into our day. One way that helps me think about sin in a meaningful way is the notion of separation. Sin separates us from God, our relationship is broken. And we know that because Paul speaks about that in more than one place, but especially coming to my mind is 2 Corinthians 5 where he talks about how we need to be reconciled to God. That shows us that our relationship with Him is broken if it needs to be reconciled. Karl Barth speaks of it in this way. Sin is robbery. He says in the sense that it is the falling of men out of direct relationship with God, the rending asunder of the spiritual band that unites the Creator with His creation. It's an assumption of independence in which God is forgotten. And then he says, sin damages the living relationship between God and man and appropriates to itself the madness of the devil. And what he means by that is that in the fall of Adam and Eve... You remember what Satan said there to them? You won't die if you eat this fruit. No, you won't die. You'll be like God. That's the madness, the lunacy, if you will, of Satan, the great liar and the great deceiver. The scriptures make it clear that we were created to live in fellowship and harmony with God to live in fellowship and harmony with one another, to live even in fellowship and harmony with ourselves. Remember, we're to love others as we love ourselves. We were to have confidence, strength, love, assurance, peace, all those other attributes of what we would call a perfect life. But because of sin, we've been separated from God. Just like we see Adam and Eve's relationship with God ruined there in the garden because of sin. God comes to visit them. They hide from Him because of their sin, because of their shame. And just like them, we too live in fearfulness. We live in weakness, resentment. There's uncertainty in our lives. Because of that broken relationship with God, anxiety haunts us. Ambition drives us. Envy overpowers us. Discontentment lives with us. Almost every single day, we are not content. It's easy to see as we look around as we think on our thoughts and actions, as we see even our own personalities that sin abounds. And so like Paul will do, we too say, Who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Only one person can. Over two centuries ago in England, a wealthy landowner by the name of Sir Roger Bolter visited the traveling fair at Colchester, which is a coastal town. And as he went around the exhibits and the sideshows, he suddenly heard the market square clock begin to chime noon. And like a child, he counted along. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I just wonder how many of you count along when our bell is rung by a deacon each Lord's day. Well, most of us are like that. And Sir Roger was listening to the clock chime, and all of a sudden he counted 13 times. And he thought to himself, I must have been mistaken. But about that time, a small man standing beside him looked up at him and said, Did you hear that? The clock struck 13. That night, Sir Roger recorded the strange incident in his diary, but then he really thought nothing more about it. Well, about two months later, he woke up one morning. And you know, sometimes you have an inner voice. I I normally attribute it to the Holy Spirit telling you to do something And this inner voice was telling Sir Roger he needed to travel to York. But he wasn't a man given that much to inner voices, and so he didn't do anything that day, but he didn't have any peace. And so the next morning, he got up and saddled his horse, and he traveled to York, where very quickly he found out from all the activity in town that there was a great trial going on, a murder trial. And it was the last day, supposedly, and he went in and found a seat in the public gallery where he heard the judge pronounce the defendant guilty. When the accused was asked if he had any final words to say, he replied, It's just like I told you. I'm innocent. I was more than a hundred miles from the place of the crime on the day that it took place. I was in Colchester. Another man and I heard a clock strike thirteen times. If if he were here, he could prove my innocence. And at that, Sir Roger jumped up out of his seat knowing why he was supposed to be in York, went to the judge, told him who he was, showed him his diary that he always carried with him. And after that sudden turn of events, the accused was declared innocent on the basis of Sir Roger's testimony. And as the two of them walked out of the courthouse that day, the the little man looked up at him and said, You know, you're the only person in the whole world who could have saved me. There's no doubt sin abounded. They were ready to hang an innocent man. But grace abounded all the more. And that's what Paul is saying here in this passage as he compares and contrasts Adam and Jesus. That grace abounded all the more through God's gift of Jesus into the world. Jesus is the only one able to save you and me. You see, Paul's using a a just as so also argument here as he talks about Adam and then talks about Jesus Christ. It's the same kind of argument he uses over in First Corinthians 15, that great chapter on the resurrection where he says as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive and we see that word all a lot in our text today so much so that it almost sounds like he's saying all people will be saved in Jesus Christ in fact universalists take this text and use it that way but you notice it also says many and you know we always take When we have a passage like this, we take Scripture and use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And we know that Jesus says that hell is a real place and that it will be populated by real people. And so we know that's not the point that Paul's making here. It does mean that those in Christ will live in heaven. Those not in Christ, those who disobey, can only move toward death. One of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, said it was by a tree that Adam sinned. And it was also by a tree that Jesus died. In order to save us from the penalty of sin and grant us the grace we so desperately need. One tree represents our rebellion and sin, and one tree represents our forgiveness from God. On one tree we see the the seriousness of our sin. We see that sin abounds all around us and, and in us and through us, but on the other tree we see that the grace of God abounds all the more because that tree formed the cross on which Jesus died. And yet Paul reminds us that while the word of the cross is folly, to those who are perishing, as he puts it so well there in 1 Corinthians, to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God and the grace of God in Jesus Christ, the grace that abounds even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our hopelessness and despair. And you know, there are a lot of hopeless and despairing people in today's world. Right here in this community, if you take the time to listen to people, if you take the time to talk, you'll hear a lot of hopelessness and a lot of despair. I once read about an older gentleman who felt that way. It seems that in his little town, he was sort of the... Ebenezer Scrooge of that little village. He didn't have any family. He certainly didn't have any friends. Even the little small children were scared of him. And one particular Sunday night, he was walking down the street past the local church, and it was a nice time of the year, sort of like now, where we could have the windows open, and you could hear the hymns being sung up and down the streets. You know, these beautiful stained glass windows were not able to be open, but these two-story windows were made to be open, and I would guess two or three generations ago they were open when the weather was nice. Well, this older gentleman, Mr. Klein, was very discouraged as he walked along. He was about at the end of his rope. He was convinced that his life had no meaning and there was really no reason for it to go forward anymore. He didn't have any family, no friends. He didn't have any hope that his life would ever change for the better. As the congregation started to sing another hymn, he was close enough to be able to hear most of the words. Saved by grace alone, they sang. This is all my plea. Jesus died for all mankind. And Jesus died for me. But you see, Mr. Klein's hearing wasn't too good. And so when they sang, Jesus died for all mankind, he thought they were singing, Jesus died for old man Klein. (laughs) And his ears perked up, and he thought, they're singing about me. And he went into that small church and he heard the good news of the gospel for the first time in his life. He heard the good news of the gospel that God loved him. Good news like we see in our passage today that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And he believed. And he received that abundance of grace that Paul talks about in our text this morning even though sin abounded grace abounded all the more and I know that's a kind of corny story but the reason I wanted to tell it is because the neat thing about that story is that they're also singing about you and me when they sing Jesus died for all mankind he died for you he died for me. For those sin abounds. And we know the wages of sin. Paul tells us in the first verse of our text here that with sin comes death. He's going to put it a different, more well-known way at the end of chapter 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's the good news of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together, dear Father.